0: Chapter six, the seals. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard a voice like one of, then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! I looked and there before me was a black horse, its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind. They were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, by famine, and by plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made from goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as if figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the lamb and sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four corners, four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land and the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, another 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, and from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes.
1: Good morning, brothers and sisters. As we come to God's holy word, uh, let's pray. Our Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you are the awesome and eternal God. The one who was and is and is to come. We praise you for your gracious generosity, your infinite goodness and your eternal love upon each one of us this morning, that we have the privilege to worship you and reflect the praise and glory that you receive in heaven. Father, we come before you in humility today. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Anoint our eyes and hear ears that, Lord, not one of us would leave without seeing and hearing that which you have for us this morning. And we ask this in the merciful and mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. When you consider your destiny, what do you see? When you consider the destiny of the entire universe, the future of creation, What do you see? Seeing with the eye of faith the unseen destiny of the world and of the church is of great importance. Because whether you realise this or not, your view of the future is having a profound effect upon how you are living in the present. If with the eye of faith you see with clarity the destiny of the church and the world, you will be living your life in step with reality. The reality of God's will for both the church and the world. And that's why the next 17 chapters of Revelation is of such fundamental importance for us as sisters of brothers in Christ, and as daughters and sons of the King of kings. Because the Lord, in his most wonderful mercy, is giving to us a clear and compelling vision of both yours and the world's destiny. So that as we read Revelation with the eye of faith, we will experience the surety and certainty of unseen future realities of the entire creation. Such faith, such surety and certainty cannot help but have a profound effect upon our hearts and our hands, what we feel and what we do. And this begins in chapter 6. Let me read to you verse 1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice, like thunder, come. Remembering last week, the Apostle John sees a vision of God on his throne, holding the scroll of destiny, which is sealed by seven seals. And you might remember that written on this scroll is how the Lord will accomplish this world's final redemption. And again, last week, we were told that the scroll can only be opened by someone who not only knows the mind of God, but possesses the authority to do the will of God the authority to fulfil what's actually written on the scroll. And again, we saw that uh, the only one who possesses such authority is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. He is the promised King who through sacrifice triumphs over evil. When we come to chapter 6, you'll notice that Jesus Christ opens the first six seals. And as he does, there's this corresponding event. So it's important to remember that the scroll itself is not fully open until the seventh seal is broken. That's going to happen in chapter 8. This means that the events that accompany the opening of the first six seals are foreshadowing the events that will happen when God brings this world to a final redemption. And that will happen when the seventh seal is broken and the scroll is finally opened. The purpose of opening the first six seals is to show us that the final judgment that is yet to come is experienced now but in a lesser way. In other words, the undoing of the first six seals tells us that history is foreshadowing the final judgment, which means that the present distress we see that the world is under are the birth pains of what God will one day bring about. Look with me at verses 2 and 4. I looked, and there before me was a white horse, Its rider held a bow and was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. This is a very sobering vision, isn't it? What we read is that the seals are undone, the living creature calls out, come, and the white and the red horses gallop off to conquer and kill. This vision is telling us that before the Lord brings this world to an end, God's judgments are already upon the earth. The war and the bloodshed we see today are not only a consequence of man's corrupt heart, but they are a foretaste of what will happen when God brings this world to an end. The same applies to the next two seals. The black horse represents famine. The pale horse, death. And again, Jesus is telling us that the famine and the social disorder we see in this world are not only a consequence of man's corrupt heart, but they are a foretaste of what will happen when the Lord will bring this world to a close. These four horses of the apocalypse are symbolic of God's present judgment and they're an indication of what is to come. If the breaking of the seals that keep the destiny of a scroll of destiny closed reveal the judgment of God presently, then what are we going to expect when that scroll is fully opened? When Jesus opens the fifth seal, John sees an altar in heaven and under it are those who have been killed on the account of their faithfulness to Christ and God's word. Let me read to you verses 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the, soul, under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood like the first four seals the fifth one is foreshadowing the events that will mark the final redemption of a world in this instance it's the persecution and suffering of god's people now of course that is a present reality today in fact throughout the ages god's people have been killed and persecuted on account of their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Millions of Christians in history. But here, Jesus reveals that the, what the church experienced in history is experiencing now will also be present when he brings this world to an end. You might notice that the believers are under the altar, From God's perspective, their deaths are an act of sacrifice. And by the way, their request for the Lord to avenge their blood, this is not a personal desire for revenge. Not at all. This is their concern for the reputation of God. They seek vindication, not retribution. Then we have the opening of the sixth seal. Let me read from verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, the whole moon turned blood red and the stars fell from the sky to the earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, the events associated with the opening of the sixth seal cannot be equated to anything that's happening in this world today or has happened. These are the great cosmic disturbances that will mark the final judgment of God. When you think about the sun and the moon and the stars and the skies and the mountains and the islands... We think of God as holding them together in perfect order, which He does. So, the breakdown of a heavenly order is a grim announcement that the end of the world is at hand. Can you imagine the terror that will fill the hearts of everyone who will witness such an event? From the opening of these six seals, we learn, amongst other things, that our world is destined for judgment. The wars, the famines, the disease, the distresses that have marked mankind's history, that are a part of our present world, they are foreshadowing, according to Christ, the final and dreadful judgment. And we also learn that the church, us, God's people, will not be immune from the persecution that will accompany God's judgment, just like we're not immune from persecution today. I want to take just a moment to talk about or at least to consider God's judgment. The wrath of God is a fundamental theme that runs throughout the scriptures. In today's world, it is not a politically correct thing to talk about, let alone preach about. But talk about we must. According to God's word, his judgment is both a present reality and a future event. It is not personal vindictiveness on God's part, nor is it an impersonal process of retribution. It is the consequence, it is the response of God's holiness to this present, persistent and unrepented wickedness of our rebellious world. My sisters and brothers, God has revealed himself to the world through the creation. He has revealed himself to the world through the Lord Jesus Christ and the wonderful news of the gospel. Throughout history, God invites us, all people, to come to Him, that He will give us life both now and for eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ is always willing to forgive always willing to liberate, always willing to reconcile us to the Father and always willing to restore us from our brokenness to wholeness. But the world is unwilling to believe. What is left for God to do? If the world refuses to be redeemed through Christ, Christ will redeem the world through judgment. There is much I could draw out from this chapter, but today I just want to bring to you one implication from what we read. When you and I consider how we are to live in the light of God's present and future judgement, we ought to look to a man of faith, and that's Noah. By faith Noah believed that God's judgment was coming. He lived in God's thoughts and words. And by faith, he saw what the world did not see. Faith not only guided his heart, but his hands. He readied himself for judgment by building the ark. And he sought to deliver others. He was mocked. Yep. He was belittled, but through faith, God delivered himself and his family, and quite frankly, all of us owe our existence to Noah here this morning. My sisters and brothers, by faith, believe God's word. Live in God's words and thoughts, not the world's. Allow your faith to move not only your heart but your hands. Ready yourself for God's coming judgment by trusting and resting your all in the true ark, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, warn others of what is to come. We must be messengers of mercy To the perishing. Do you know that the language of judgment has been wiped out of a Christian dictionary? We don't even speak about judgment to each other. And I'll tell you why. In ages past, the world belittled us for believing in God's judgment. But today it berates us. It accuses us of coercive control. That is, we are using fear to control the congregation. My sisters and brothers, by faith, let us speak the truth in love, that like Noah, God may use us to deliver some. Do you notice... In chapter 6, we're left with a question. It's verse 17. For the great day their wrath has come, and who can stand? It's a good question. Who can endure God's coming judgment? Well, this is fascinating because instead of the Lord Jesus at this point moving right on to opening the seventh seal in that scroll of destiny and and have him tell us how he will redeem this world, we have this interlude. Right, because the scroll of destiny we opening in chapter 8. We have this interlude in chapter 7, and the pers- purpose of chapter 7 is to answer that last question in chapter 6. And the answers may surprise you. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Then I heard a number of those who have sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Did you notice that before there is this unleashing of destruction, the angel calls out, do not harm the earth until God's people are sealed. The reason for the delay is that God's people will be protected from a coming judgment. Sealing indicates ownership. And ownership entails protection. This doesn't mean God's people will not suffer loss or pain or even death. Not at all. But the suffering will not prevent them from entering the glory of life to come. The Lord will keep them faithful through the the coming trial. We're told that the number of those who are sealed are 144,000. Now, this is a hotly disputed passage. There are so many interpretations, and I, I truly don't... Come here, uh, preaching to you, believing I have everything right. This is the best way I understand this word. I take the view that the 144,000 is symbolic for the whole people of God. The, The number 12 in Revelation is always associated with the complete number of something. So the 144,000 are con- consistently seen throughout Revelation as symbolising the complete number of people, of people of God or the complete number of something. I'll give you an example. Do you remember last week we saw the 24 elders? They're made up of 12 tribes of Israel and the, and the uh, 12 apostles. And again, this was symbolic for the whole people of God throughout all history. This is God's people around the throne. When we come to Revelation 21, we read in that chapter that the holy city of Jerusalem is 12,000 stadia in length, height and depth, and 144 cubics thick. It is 12 gates, and it's decorated by 12 stones. Right? The number 12 in that chapter is used to symbolise the completeness of God's eternal city, i.e., nothing's missing from heaven. A lot's missing from earth, but in heaven, nothing is missing. Same here, the 144,000, which is 12 by 12 by 1,000, is symbolic for the complete number or whole number of God's people throughout all history. No one is missing. In verses 5 to 8, we have a breakdown of the 12 tribes of Israel again. It's a wonderful assurance that those who are marked with the seal of God are the true Israel. The complete people of God who know Christ, they will not miss out on the glory of a kingdom to come. So the question that is asked at the end of chapter 6, who can stand firm for the final judgment of God? Or whom he seals? Everyone who are his people. And the eternal rest that they're going to, look with me at verse 9. After this I looked and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation, people and language standing before the throne and in front of a lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This is a picture of a heavenly gathering. Uh, by the way, in the book of Revelation, time is not linear. So we'll go back in history, we'll come to the present, we'll go to the future, we'll come back. It's not linear. So here we're taken to the time when all God's people are in heaven and experiencing their eternal rest. And that rest, according to verses 13 to 16, is infinitely glorious. Glorious. When we are in glory, we will live in the perfect presence of God, seeing his unobscured glory. We will be presented to God as pure and blameless and will experience the infinite joy of serving the Lord perfectly. I'm not sure what it's like for you, but there are times when I pray and I feel the presence of God so deeply. I long for it to deepen. In heaven, it will be far deeper than I could ever imagine. We will be in need of nothing, nor will we live in fear of anything, especially the fear of death. In fact, from, from the book of Isaiah, right through to the book of Revelation, there's this great vision that in heaven, the shroud of darkness that we now presently live under, we live under a shroud of darkness. Right? It's forever lifted. Can you imagine that? never hurting, never weeping, never mourning, never suffering. All we see is the glory of God and live in his presence, experiencing the blessing of life as God intended. That is your destiny. Revelation chapter 6 is revealing to us that the destiny of the world will be judgment. Revelation chapter 7 is revealing to us that the church's destiny is the infinite glory of living in the presence of a living God and enjoying his blessings of perfection forever. Friends, let me share with you one final reflection from these chapters. When you look to the future of this world and the future of the church, look with the eye of faith. Believe what God is revealing to us in in his word. Live in his thoughts and in his words, not the world's. Do you realise that the temporary possessions and pleasures of this world are seeking to have a greater influence in your life than the lasting and eternal ones of the next There is an unseen spiritual battle that is waging war over your affections, your will, and your decisions. When with the eye of faith, you see the value and glory of the unseen eternal possessions, they will become more real to you than your earthly ones and when the things of eternity become more real to us than the things of this world, that's when our affections, our will, and our decisions will continue to align more and more to the will of God. Most Saturdays, I pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, The lawful possessions and pleasures of this world are seeking to undermine the influence of a better and lasting possessions. Gracious, gracious Lord, please secure me from their power by deepening my faith. Do you know why I pray that? Because I find myself battling and I have not yet overcome. Sisters and brothers, when it comes to the world's future and to your future, don't be satisfied with ignorance. Look with the eye of faith. Set your heart and your hand on what is to come because ignorance is not bliss. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you today that you you pull back the curtain of the eternal realities and give into us the eye of faith. We experience the certainty of things unseen and the surety of things hoped for. Praise your name, Lord, for being so gracious to us. Father, we ask today, please continue to lead us. May we live in your thoughts and your words ever more deeply. May our hearts, our affections and our hands, Lord, be set upon the things that last for all eternity. We pray, Lord, that the present possessions and pleasures of this world will weaken in their influence over our lives that the lasting and eternal ones will be more real to us than the things we own today. And we pray this for your glory, that when the angels and the heavenly beings look to us, they will say, how wonderful and how wise is the living God to restore those broken people to the glory of his image. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.